0: grace mercy and peace be to you from god our father through our lord and savior jesus christ amen the reading that we have today from mark's account focuses very heavily upon the topic of trust but the end of this story suddenly we get this comment about prayer and so today i want to look at the relationship between trust and prayer in this text in hopes that it would help deepen our trust in God and shape our life of prayer in him as well. Jesus is coming down from a mount with three of his disciples, and it's the Mount of Transfiguration. Mark has been really emphasizing the identity of Jesus, right? Who is this man from Nazareth? He's the Son of God. He is the one who radiates with God's glory in the world. But now Mark is starting to transition, not only of who is this, but what does it mean that he has this identity? What does it mean for him to live as the Son of God? And we see that he is headed towards suffering, and he is headed towards death. Because being the Son means being faithful to God, his Father. They come down the mount and there is this commotion. A father is in need of desperate help. His son is possessed by an unclean spirit and keeps having these, uh, these writhing fits. It's like having seizures, it seems like, foaming around at the mouth and almost getting killed by being thrown into fire and water. He needs help and he exhibits some trust, right? He hears about Jesus and thinks, maybe this man can do something to help my son. And he goes looking for Jesus, but doesn't actually find him because he's up on the mount at first. Instead, he finds some of Jesus' disciples. And they try to cast out the unclean spirit, and they fail. Jesus hears this report when he comes down, and his response, O oh, faithless generation, there is an immense lack of trust. This father, though, he needs help And he goes to Jesus and he says, if you can, right? Your disciples weren't able to do it, but maybe there is this possibility that Jesus still can. if you can, have compassion on us. This is a statement of trust, right? Still turning towards Jesus that maybe there is a possibility he can do something. But it's also an expression of doubt. It is also an expression of a lack of trust. If you can. Jesus responds, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. And sometimes I think we hear these words and we think Jesus is saying, all things are possible for me. But that's not what he says. It's much broader. All things are possible for the one who believes. And the Father hears these words and feels the force of those words. This situation is awful, but if all things are possible for one who trusts, then I need to trust more. I believe, he says. Help my unbelief. I trust, but I also have all of these doubts. This story centers very heavily upon this theme of trust. Who is it that trusts in Jesus? The scribes there don't. They're arguing and causing part of this commotion as well, it seems. The disciples of Jesus, they also don't fully trust him. And we see that on the Mount of Transfiguration as they're overwhelmed by fear and they don't get it. They keep opposing what he is about. And this father does exhibit some trust, but also exhibits a fair amount of doubt. What will God do with this faithless generation? What will God do when the best somebody can possibly say, it seems, is, I believe, but God help me with my unbelief. Jesus heals the boy, restores him to his father. Jesus reveals that he is one who trusts, right? If those who trust trust, If all things are possible for those who trust, Jesus reveals he is one who trusts fully. He restores that boy and gives him back to his father, and it is this trust of Jesus, this faithfulness of Jesus, that carries him through to the cross. Though the way goes through suffering and ridicule, Jesus trusts his father doesn't trust him to harm him, per se, but trust in his work of salvation, trusts in his work of love for the world. He entrusts his life to him, and even when his last words from the cross are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of that experience of being abandoned, he still turns towards the God he knows, his Father. Right? This trust leads Jesus to the cross And it is out of his faithfulness that we hear that God raises him from the dead. Because Jesus trusts, we now hear this promise. He's not here. He is alive. And that has changed everything for us. This is such a comfort to us that Jesus is the one, or a one rather, who trusts and, and exhibits that trust in the fullest way. Because it means that our salvation doesn't hinge upon our faith, right? Faith is important, but it doesn't hinge upon if our trust is completely steadfast. It doesn't hinge upon whether our trust is completely unwavering and unchanging. We do believe, and it's true, but we also have unbelief. We do trust, but we also doubt, but that doesn't change our salvation because Christ was faithful. Christ is the one who entrusted himself to his Father in love for the many, including for you and for me today. That is such a comfort for us as we vacillate between all sorts of uh, matters of trust and of doubt. Christ remains faithful. At the end of this story, the disciples of Jesus are perplexed. And allow me to build some context around their confusion. Earlier on in Mark's account, Jesus sent them out with authority to cast out demons, and they did. They were actually successful. They came back, and they had cast out many demons. So why in the world weren't they able to? This time, they're confused. It's like, we've done this before. Why couldn't we cast this one out? And Jesus responds by saying, this kind can only come out by prayer. I find that those words, honestly, kind of confusing and maybe a bit enigmatic at times. It raises questions for me about, well, what does that mean for them to pray? Did they not like, bow their heads and fold their hands? Did they not say the right words? Did they not exhibit enough trust in the midst of that prayer? What does that mean? But I don't remember where it came from, which book or who I heard it from, but there's another way I think that approaching this portion is, I think, very helpful. Think about it in terms like this. The disciples tried to cast out a demon without God. They tried to do divine work in the world without seeking divine help. Right? They were trying to do this, we don't know how, but apparently just all on their own, not seeking God, not living in that relationship of trust with him, but just trying to do it on their own volition. This is an immense lack of trust on the part of the disciples in this moment. You see, prayer, I think we sometimes think of it as something that we do to get things from God. And if it's not trying to get something from God, it's this religious duty to fulfill this unspoken quota of prayer, right? Pray in the morning when you wake up, pray before bed and before all of your meals. That's the unspoken quota to make sure that you are connected with God throughout your life through prayer. But prayer isn't for the sake of prayer. It's not about just getting stuff from God. It is not about this unspoken quota. We pray because we've been brought into a relationship with God in Christ, a relationship that is based upon his faithfulness and his love, a relationship in which we engage in that relationship through trust. And so we pray, and sometimes that means words, but sometimes that also means actions. I mean, even Jesus' own action here If this kind of demon can only come out by prayer, Jesus' words don't seem much like a prayer, right? He just says, come out and never enter him again, and it happens. But it's this act of trust, of trust in the one who has sent him. We pray, we engage in this life of trust by bringing our trust to God and by also bringing our doubts to him. Sometimes we express joys and sometimes we express anger, not only at situations, but at God himself, because that's what it means to live in a relationship with him. We do pray and ask for things. Why? Because we trust that our God can change circumstances in the world in this present day. Prayer is not for the sake of prayer. Prayer is an act of trust. But moving towards our relationship with God is not always comfortable. And it is not always easy. In fact, I still don't understand this about this text either. But Jesus seems to make the situation more uncomfortable at times. There are two main things I want to point out with this from this story. Jesus is there, and the boy is brought before him. And when the spirit within that boy sees Jesus, starts convulsing the boy wildly, rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth. And did you catch what Jesus does? He looks to the father next to him, and he says, how long has this been happening for? What? I mean, can you imagine going to God saying, there's this problem right now? Here, please help. I need help. Do something. And Jesus says, Well, how long's it been going on for? Why does that matter? Why does that matter at all? Is it as if, like, if they're on the list longer, that they get to move up or be more priority? What? Just heal the person. I'm seeking help, right? This is uncomfortable. And then something else happens later on. Jesus sees a crowd starting to gather, and for some reason, this seems to be part of the impetus for him to heal. But when he heals the boy and says, come out, the situation gets worse. He says, come out and never enter him again, and suddenly there's an even greater convulsion, violent convulsion. The boy becomes rigid, and all of a sudden, everybody around thinks the boy is dead, right? Jesus has acted, and it seems like the situation has gotten worse. I want to be very clear here. I do not believe that this text is trying to say that when bad things happen in the world, it's God secretly doing some strange, uncomfortable thing. When things don't get better, or when things seem to be prolonged, it's not God toying with us, right? I don't think that's what this text is trying to say. That would make God rather malicious. And that is not how God's character is revealed throughout the scriptures. Instead, I think what we see in this story is that there is evil in the world. There are things that are directly in opposition to God's ways. There are forces at work that are trying to stop God's work. And so even when Jesus says, come out, there is resistance. There is more of a problem. The boy looks like he is dead. And what does Jesus do? He reaches down his hand and takes that boy and raises him up. There is no guarantees in prayer that the present circumstances will change. The world is broken and there are evil forces at work. But what we see in this story, we are not promised again that our prayers will necessarily change the present automatically, but we are promised that God sees and hears. And we are promised through this story that we have a Jesus who's incredibly tenacious. And that tenacity moves him not only to the cross, right? He doesn't just persist all the way to the cross. He doesn't just persist with that boy bringing him back to life even though the situation gets worse. He persists even into the grave and beyond. I mean, consider that, right? There are evil forces at work in the world. Jesus died. Death actually won for a few days. But Christ persisted even in the midst of death, until he came out alive. We have a tenacious God who does not abandon, who does not give up, but persists, even when all seems to be lost. We have a God who is incredibly persistent. Though there are no guarantees that our praying will change the present, we continue to be promised that our God hears. And so we find ourselves standing with the father of this boy we do believe we do we have the spirit we trust in god and yet we also have doubts there are so many things that can take place in this world that cause doubt and fear within us things that we see resisting the work of god and it causes us to question we do believe but we also need help with our unbelief we trust but we also experience a lack of trust But in the midst of that relationship, we bring all of those things to our God. We pray to the one whom we believe can actually change circumstances in the world, whether it is healing, whether it is raising the dead, we trust he can still act today. But we also know that sometimes we pray and things may not change, right? The very thing that we are begging God for to not happen might in fact happen. And if that does happen, and even the worst of it, of death, for instance, comes, we are given a promise that Christ still persists. Even in death, he will not abandon his people. He will return, and he will reach out his hand and lift his people up, bring them back to life. That is the promise that we are given. We pray to a God we trust can enact change in the world now, today. But we also trust in the midst of all of the problems that the end is coming and all will be made beautiful and new. We believe, help our unbelief. We trust, but we experience a lack of trust as well. And in the midst of all of those experiences that go on within us, Christ does not abandon. He does not give up. He will persist unto eternal life. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.